Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast. This show is all about art, craft, and creativity, and I produce it weekly in the hope that it will help all of us live long and crafty lives. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Craft Sanity. I'm pretty excited about uh, today's show. My guest is Gayla Trail. She's a designer, photographer, and creator of YouGrowGirl.com, that fantastic everything garden website. And she's a crafty girl with a green thumb in Toronto. In this episode, she's going to tell us a story of how her website sprouted into a book, You Grow Girl, The Groundbreaking Guide to Gardening, which came out last year. And now it's a TV show in the making. So it's very exciting time for Gala. Her book is fantastic, and I, I really enjoyed it. And I love it so much that I am so, so happy that Simon & Schuster were cool enough to send along a book to give away to a listener. I know I said the deadline was Saturday, but what I'd like to do is give some of the stragglers out there who haven't sent an entry yet a chance to hear Gala talk about her life and her work and how she was able to basically sprout herself a, a job because she, like many creative souls, do not feel all that excited and enthused working for other people. Back to the contest. You have one more week, folks. So I've extended the deadline to Saturday, July 1st. So send in your echo crafting idea, projects that can be made from a recycled material, or it can be something that you've done already or something that you plan to do. And we've gotten some great entries, some people with some pretty cool ideas. So I'm going to just keep it open for one more week. You can be thinking as you're listening to Gala talk about something that you might want to send along. I mean, it's a fantastic book, so it's worth putting your entry in. And then what I'll do is when I get the ideas, everybody's ideas, I'll post those along with the winning idea. We'll uh, have those to enjoy and be inspired by. Just want to remind you to uh, visit craftsanity.com after the show, and you'll find some project instructions from Gala and links to all our cool websites. Of course, don't forget to enter the contest to win your copy of the book. It's just a fantastic book for crafters who love plants. So, okay, let's get on with the show. Here's my chat with Gala. So what is You Grow Girl all about? I, I, it's funny because even now, after six years, I'm still really resistant to call it a gardening website. I guess less resistant than I used to be. When I first started it, it was like, I just wanted it to be about plants. I mean, I knew it was about growing plants, but typical gardening stuff at the time seemed so boring to me, so I was kind of resistant to pigeonholing it to be just about gardening. I wanted to sort of you know, talk about plants and and plants that I was excited about and talk about sort of the scientific part of it and then but then there's other stuff too like uh, you know, cooking with plants and making things with plants. So the idea of calling it just a gardening site seemed too specific. But now I've just accepted okay it's gardening. But it's gardening with a bit beyond that. And what gave you the idea? What led to this? I was getting really big into gardening, and some friends were over, and we were sitting on my deck, and they were looking around and commenting on the fact that, like, I was becoming this crazy gardener, and where did that come from? (laughs) And so I had this one friend who said, you should have a TV show, and you should call it You Grow Girl. (laughs) 
And I said, well, I don't know if I want to have a TV show, but that's a good, that's a good name. And so I registered the URL. It was at least a year, if not longer, if not a few years. I'm not even sure now. But it was a while later that I actually started the site. And it was just you when you started it? Were you a one-woman show? Um, at first, and then um, a friend of mine, Yaddy, um, I convinced her to, to help me with it. So in the beginning, essentially it ended up being the, the two of us. By the time the first issue was launched, back then we were doing issue to issue, um, it, was, it was with Yaddy. And that was back in 2000? Yes. So you've been around for six years doing this. How has it changed your life to have this presence on the Internet? The presence on the Internet, maybe not that much in some ways, but, I mean, now this is what I do. I talk about gardening, and I garden. Um, I don't do client work anymore as a designer, so it's changed my life in that way. And I know that I was struggling to kind of figure out, okay, where do I start with this woman? Because you're, you're, I mean, you're not just one thing. You're not someone who has this gardening website. Uh, you also are a photographer and you're also a designer. Um, of, you, you know, you run Fluff Co. So when you go to like a dinner party or you're out, a friend introduces you, you're trying to figure out how you describe what you do. Because people always, oh, what work are you in? You know, what do you do? How do you respond to that? I literally have no idea now. <laughs> I, I am completely stumped about that as well. I don't know. I don't know what to call myself at this point. So how does that go? If we're at a dinner party and I ask you, so um, what do you do? Uh, what do you say? Um, I, I stumble around a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sometimes, or I'll just say a different thing every time. <laughs> So sometimes you're a photographer, and sometimes you're a gardener, and sometimes you're a creator of a gardener web- gardening website. Or, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, I don't garden for a living. I don't do other people's gardens. I don't do that kind of thing. So I think now it's like more like a garden personality. <laughs> no, that, no, I think that's probably a great way to describe what you're doing. And um, now your friend uh, said that you should have a TV show. Now, are you actually working on a TV show now? Cause you... I am. I'm working on the pilot. Is it going to be a You Grow Girl TV show? Is that what you're working it is. on? Yeah. <laughs> That's the irony of it. <laughs> and I don't, or something. I don't know if it's irony, but it is pretty humorous. <laughs> and so you've gone from this website. What was the first issue like? It was all over the place. It was art, and it was. I mean, I did kind of arty kind of stuff and little projecty kind of stuff, and there was obviously like gardening stuff as well. But I don't know; it was it was pretty open ended. So it is funny that you know, in the beginning, it began because a friend said something about a TV show named New Grow Girl, and then now here I am. I never imagined in a million years that I would actually actually do. This. <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of makes sense. Like it does make sense. Well, because you're a personality now. Yeah. <laughs> a personality is still myself. Is it? I mean, do people recognize you? I mean, I know on you're not on TV. I know you're not on TV yet. But I mean, are there like garden and garden aficionados out there that are like, you know, oh my gosh, that's her. Um, that's the she grow girls. Girl. Really, really rarely. I still no. <laughs> Really, really rarely. Now, are you ready? Because with TV, that's probably what's going to happen. 
I know. I'm. <laughs> I'm. Well, I've thought about it. I've had a lot of time to think about it. Um, I, yeah, doing a TV show, it's like a. I mean, for me anyway, the way that I've been going about it, it's been a pretty slow process. So I have been actively pursuing it for a year. So that's a long time for me to, to really get used to the idea. So did someone approach you or you were shopping the idea around to TV producers? Um, when the book came out, people started to approach me. And so I started to talk to people. And at a certain point, I just decided, okay, you know, it's not working out with these people, but this could be something good. And I and I decided to pursue it in a more thought-out way. Well, that's really cool. So are you, is this going to be something we can see in the States? I hope so. At this point, I don't even know because we're doing the pilot and the process here in Canada, at least the process that I'm going through in terms of doing this show, is very step-by-step and... At this point, yes, we're doing the pilot. We're shooting it right now. Actually, we just finished the last shoot, and we're just putting it together. But that doesn't mean there's still there's going to be a show. If there's a good chance, but it's still we don't have approval to actually shoot all of one season. So at this point, I don't know. I'm optimistic. I think it is going to happen, but there's still a little part of me that's you know. <laughs> Not not completely sure until there's a signature on paper. So. Sure. Well, you've gotten farther than a lot of people who want to be on TV. And, of course, it sounds like you never really set out to be on TV. So no, that's why it's so it's, humorous to you. It is. Years ago, I used to work for a TV station here in Toronto doing design work. And there were so many people working there who really wanted to be on TV. And I thought it was kind of laughable. But... <laughs> <laughs> And now look at you. <laughs> You're going to be on TV. Well, I'm sure that's going to work out because I just from reading your book, your personality is very engaging from your, just reading your book. It's it's humorous and light and not something that wants, you know, I, I, that's the thing that's so boring about a lot of gardening books um, is that they're kind of boring to read, you know, very scientific and not very conversational. It's getting a lot better. I mean, when I started the site, I started it because of that, because I couldn't find anything out there in bookstores, et cetera, that really related to my experiences and the way I felt about gardening. Um, but in within that time frame, it, things have changed, and there are a lot of interesting and beautiful books now. Well, in, in the introduction to your book, you, you know, you take a punk rock approach to gardening, and can you kind of describe, for those who haven't had a chance to see your book yet, the difference between what you consider kind of the old school, kind of boring gardening, uh, to how is that different than uh, your punk rock approach? What do you mean by that? Well, gardening is a big industry. It's the number one hobby. It's bigger than, um, than golf, and apparently people spend a ton of money on it. So because of that, it it is this big money industry, and that's the way it's sold. So... Um, magazines are very geared towards, you know, buying things. And, and in gardening, it's, there's this idea that you need to buy a lot of stuff, <laughs> that you need to know a lot and you need to buy a lot of stuff. And it's not really true. I mean, you can just put a plant in a pot and 
it can be a yogurt container, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't have to be this big, expensive thing, so. And do you think that's why maybe gardening is so disappointing for people? Because if you if you kind of listen to popular culture, like, what society is telling you is that you need to go to the, your local big box store and spend $5,000. Expectations are high. Well, then your, if your plants die, I mean, it's not only financially a, a big waste, but it's... Um, kind of demoralizing (laughs) for sure because gardening it's not it's a committed activity it isn't something that you can just take up as a fad and then drop it and (laughs) the plants are going to (laughs) die that's just the reality of it so um and if you don't know what you're doing it can be really overwhelming but i mean i think people are already overwhelmed just by the expectations that are placed on it i mean when you think about a garden you think about this lush landscape or you think of a huge backyard or even if you think of a vegetable garden you think of like beds of neatly arranged tomatoes and lettuce plants you know you think of I I think people fundamentally always think of perfection and they think of big and my goal in part is to even just redefine the idea of what a garden is and what do you consider a garden it can be anything whatever you want it to be. I mean, a garden can be one plant. It can be a little window box of herbs. It can be uh, some tomatoes on a fire escape. Like it's, I look around in the city and I see all kinds of people doing gardening, but by traditional standards, they wouldn't be considered gardeners or they wouldn't be validated. Well, and I, I have heard people say, you know, you say, oh, are you into gardening? Because I seem to ask people if they're into any of the stuff I'm into because I always want to connect with people. Like, I, do you do crafts? Do you garden? Do you <laughs> ask questions in strange places um, like grocery store lines and so forth? But anyway, a lot of people say, oh, you know, I don't garden because I don't have enough space. And that's the cool part of, about what you're doing is you're helping to redefine, you know, not only with the definition of a garden, but get people to look at their space and figure out a way to actually grow something there, you know. And yeah, because I don't have a traditional space at all. I have a rooftop deck. <laughs> and what, how much space would you say you have? Um, about nine or ten feet okay. by squared. And so how do you, how, what does your garden look like up there, if you can describe it? Lots of containers. <laughs> and a real mishmash of containers. It depends, you know, I... My garden is a bit of an experiment. I think of it as a kind of a science experiment. I don't think of, at least the deck, I don't think of that as as a an aesthetically pleasing garden necessarily. I mean, it is. It's enjoyable. But um, I grow, I, I, I don't like to talk about anything unless I've experienced it. So I have a tendency every year to go really crazy overboard and do a lot of experimentation and push things and try different plants and just so I know, you know, I have something to tell people. I have experiences to um, impart. So it's a mishmash, my garden. But I have two other gardens as well. What kind of plants are you experimenting with up there? Like what, what sort of thing are you doing? Well, on the roof, it's very, very hot. It's very exposed to sun and wind and heat. So I, I call it full sun plus plus. It's like much, much hotter than anything any plant tag would be trying to uh, <laughs> describe. So I, I'm always trying to grow things there that, you know, can survive and that will not only survive but will thrive in that environment. Um, I grow a lot of food um, or 
not maybe not food, but useful plants. My thing is, I don't have a lot of space, so I don't want plants to be just attractive, but I also want to be able to use them in some way. So either that's like, you know, cut flowers or they're herbs. I mean, a lot of my plants are herbs. They're also pretty. I have a tendency to try to pick plants that will do double duty. Yeah, I find I like that too. I, I just, um, I, I have quite a few herbs and I'm very anxious to try to make some of the tea that you describe in your, your book. So I'm going to try that out. So I, I didn't even re- think about like how easy, like it was just kind of a mystery to me, like how tea, you know, <laughs> comes to be, you know, I thought, wow, that's b- much easier than I thought. So, oh, there's so many herbs too. I mean, every year I'm finding new herbs that I, I haven't tried before and I mean, there's a million and one different uses for them, but obviously culinary is sort of the most exciting. Well, and I didn't realize uh, catnip, that was surprising to me. I read in your book about how catnip can actually be soothing to people. Mm-hmm. And it drives cats, you know, crazy. So um, that, that was interesting to find that out. And lemon catnip is especially good because it also tastes good. It doesn't just have that catnip flavor. It has a lemon flavor, so it makes a really good taste. Yeah, well, I'm going to have to try that as well. Well, you, you described it. You talked about a little bit about your your garden at you know on the up on the roof. Um, but you said mm-hmm. you have two other gardens. And what are those gardens like? Um, one is on the side of my building. I live in an apartment, and there was just this space on the side of my building between the building and the sidewalk, and it was a waste space. It just had a lot of garbage, and it was just <laughs> um, I don't know. It wasn't a lawn. It was just there were just things growing there. Um, and so slowly over the years, I started out very tentatively because I knew that it, the land wasn't owned by my landlord. Um, it was owned by the city, and I was worried about, you know, getting in trouble. Right, right. <laughs> so I started out very tentatively, and over time I ended up taking up the whole, the whole space and transforming all of it into a garden. So that's on the street. It's on a busy street. Um, it gets a lot of foot traffic, and it's right next to, you know, where there's a lot of car exhaust, et cetera. I've never tested the soil, so I don't grow anything there that I would eat. I just grow flowers. And how has that gone over now that you've gradually planted it and made it look really cool? Really well, um, but there's still a lot of people who are really abusive to it. I own it in some ways because it's my work, but I don't own it at the same time. Um, right, you have to be willing to let go. Yeah, I have to be detached from it because it gets abused so often. Like, what do people do? Um, people step in it a lot. Like, now, because it's really lush and, and grown, the perennials have been going for a number of years, so they get really big really quickly. It's become a popular place for people to urinate. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So people step in it a lot, or, like, <laughs> drunk people fall in it. Last year, I had this beautiful bed of irises, and just as the irises were were blooming, somebody, it looked like somebody fell in it, because it looked like a bum imprint, <laughs> oh and, and it just goodness. washed almost the whole bed of viruses. Oh, my goodness. So, and people rip things out, like, the peonies, this is the first year that they have finally come out and bloom, and um, just yesterday, I had to cut the remaining flowers off, because people were ripping them off. Oh, geez. And sometimes not even taking them away, like, they'd rip it off. And then leave it. <laughs> but, like, have you ever seen anybody who... I, I'm real curious about the sort of individuals that would <laughs> take the time to rip off. I mean, unless it's a child, I, I have a hard time picturing these sort of people. <laughs> like, who does this? I don't know. 
but it's really given me a lot of insight into human psychology. Yeah, because it's like, oh, that's pretty. I must destroy it. I mean, what's going Very on? Much so I think there are some people who are just really messed up. And when they see something living, it's like they're resentful of it. Or I'm not really sure. Or maybe a lot of people think that the, city, that the garden is done by the city. I don't have a sign up or anything. So people oftentimes will come up to me while I'm working on it and say, is it in the city garden? Are you working for the city? So I think because of that, it's like there's this thing that people have that because they think it's owned by the city that it's okay to destroy it. Oh, geez. Well, maybe... Maybe if you Sorry. put one of your signs up, uh, gardening for the people with that power fist, you know. Uh, I um, keep saying every year I'm going to make a sign and then I never get it. Because then maybe people would understand that they can, like, you're fighting the power essentially, you know, and they don't need to fight you, you know. I know. I would like to have a sign that sort of explains what I've done there. And I have, I have actually read that psychologically gardens that have signs that literally say you know, nature is good for you. Please don't <laughs> that urinate. That are really didactic in that yeah. way are psychologically, it does keep people from abusing it. Yeah, geez, when you said abuse, I was thinking maybe people were throwing trash or something. I didn't picture oh, like, like urination and people, you know, beheading the flowers and my goodness. Well, yeah. but it's a good thing that you're doing. You know, if you keep at it, um, maybe put a sign up, maybe these um, losers will get a, get a clue you know that <laughs> well but at the same time when i am out there a lot of people will come up and say thank you i walk by this every day so and that's got to be great to hear sort of 50 50 yeah <laughs> well it's good that no one urinates while you're right there you know well I mean. yeah <laughs> although one time i did have a guy kind of yell at me for there being garbage in the garden and i was like well you know you can pick it up <laughs> Oh, like you were there planting garbage into your own garden. I mean, geez. Yeah. I think he knew other people were throwing it, but it was like he was mad at me because I didn't keep on top of it. Oh, geez. And this is something you're not being paid to do. I mean, this is just (laughs) out of the kindness of your heart. Wow. Okay, so that's the garden outside your building. Now, and what, what other, you have a third garden. I have a community garden. I have a plot in a community garden, um, very near to where I live. And how does that work? Do you have to rent that out, or is it just a public space that you get to maintain? No, it's, um, thankfully I don't have to rent it out. It's based behind a beer store in my neighborhood, and I didn't start the garden. Some other people, local people, started the garden a number of years ago, and they just asked for permission from the beer store to use it. And now it is a part of the uh, community garden network in Toronto, which is quite big. I see. So everyone just gets a, a several gardeners collaborate then and maintain a certain area. Is that how that works? Yeah. In 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 our space, I mean, it's different. Every community garden has their own way of going about things. In mine, um, ours is quite small. There's only about five families, so there aren't very many plots, and we each have our own very tiny plot, and then. Um, and then there's sort of communal space around our plot where we have, in one communal space we have herbs, and then in the other spots it's mostly just bedding plants. So can anybody um, in the, you know, in the group go and just get herbs if they need them? or In our own plots we kind of just sort of take from our own plot. 
unless somebody goes away and they say, you know, I'm not going to be around when my tomatoes are ripening, so go ahead and, and take. But generally, we don't take from each other's plots. I but see. But we do help each other out. So if it's, if it's, if we're going through a dry spell, for example, if I go over to my plot and I see that somebody else's plot is really, really dry, I'll, I'll water it. What are you guys trying to, to do aside from just, uh, you know, using the land to, uh, to grow plants? Um, in that area, people have backyards. All the other plot members have their own backyards, but they're very small yards and most of them don't get a lot of sun. So they're not very ideal for growing food. So the, the community garden just becomes an extension of their own garden and an opportunity to grow things that they can't grow in their yard. Our community garden's very hidden, so it's not really out in public view. I mean, I've lived here forever, and I didn't know there was a garden there until I started looking for one, and I, I was told through the grapevine that there was one there, but I had no idea. So do you have to pay to be a member of the group? Um, not of this one, no. I know some other community gardens do that, but we don't. And I know that you talked a little bit about how, you know, some people have this perception that gardening is this very expensive undertaking, but um, that's not the approach at all, that you, you don't take that approach where you got to spend millions of dollars to be a great gardener. Um, no. what, is your, what is your philosophy like? I mean, how much do you think you spend on your garden each year? I spend more than other people. <laughs> <laughs> I spend more than people I'm... <laughs> If I weren't myself, <laughs> I wouldn't spend this much money. But that's because, like I said, I'm doing a lot of experimentation. So I will spend money on plants that I wouldn't necessarily grow. So I do spend more money in that way and, and trying out certain products. Um, but my whole thing about spending money in gardening is that you don't need to spend money, a lot of money on plants because for the most part, if you have a good network of other people who garden, you can get a lot of plants for free from cuttings or, you know, trading seeds, etc. So plants don't have to be expensive and gardening really doesn't require a lot of stuff. We think it does, but fundamentally it doesn't, especially if you're doing container gardening. Container gardening, I mean, you don't really need tools because they're just small containers. So you don't need big shovels. You know, you don't need all the all the frills. Um, and containers, well, just about anything can be a container. I pick stuff up off the street all the time. So, you know, you don't need to, you really don't need to spend a lot of money there. Really, like in container gardening, the only place you really need to be wary or conscious of spending your money is in the soil because the soil is really important and not all container soils are created equal. So some container soils, if they're cheap, they're probably crap. (laughs) (laughs) You don't need to go to the high range. I I always tell people to sort of stick to the middle range. What kind of stuff do you recommend? You know, it's hard because every region has its its own kind of soil. I know I really recommend going to farmer's markets because... Like in New York City, for example, in Union Square, they, there are community groups that sell soil that they make themselves, like container soil that they make themselves, and it's really good stuff. So that's a great place to buy soil. Um, I go to a farmer's market in my city called the Zephyrin Grove, and um, they also sell soil and compost through um, Food Share, which is a, a group in Toronto. Um, as far as, like, 
prepackaged mixes. There's a brand, a Canadian brand called Nature Mist, and I like their soil. And then you also give pretty good instructions in your book too about how people can compost and kind of create their own materials. Well, to yeah, in. composting. I mean, you're talking about in-ground stuff. Although I do compost in containers as well with container plants, but um. I mean, yeah, composting, you have to compost. Right. That's, and it, that's, that's really important. <laughs> <laughs> composting, it's like you're making, you're making free soil for yourself, and it's good. It's good stuff. And I think a lot of people think it's a very scientific undertaking that you need a degree in something fancy to get, to get this to work, but it's actually pretty, pretty straightforward. It really is. And lately, I've become... I've been showing this picture of the composter we have at our community garden because we have some of these black plastic composters that you can buy from the city. So people always think that you have to like buy these expensive composters or you have to build this expensive composter, but the one that's the most successful at my community garden is literally just a hole. <laughs> it's a hole where we dump some stuff and we put some plastic over top to keep the moisture in and I go every once in a while and turn it over. And that's the most successful one. And the other ones, the prepaid, like the ones we had to buy, they don't work. They're lousy. So you just dug, you guys just dug a hole in the ground and just throw your stuff down there and stir it up every now and then with plastic on the top. Exactly. Every once in a while, like we keep saying we're going to build something, but we never get around to it. But it really uh, it doesn't even really matter because it still works. And that's, yeah, so I guess um, the procrastination has really paid off for you guys. Yeah. I have another good story. Um, a friend of mine, her her spouse, is, he just suddenly became really excited about composting. And he got a, a garbage can, in, like a tall garbage can, a plastic one, and made some holes in the bottom and put that on their patio and started composting there. And he's been really successful with it, like just getting a lot of amazing compost out of it. And this year he said to me, I'm thinking about getting a proper composter. And I was like, you don't need a proper composter. You already have one. Right. <laughs> if it works, right. it is a proper composter. <laughs> so so if people, I think, sometimes feel like if they, if it's free, then they're doing it wrong, you know? Like it, yeah. You know, like it's <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not spending enough money. What would you recommend for, like, a rookie gardener? Because a lot of the people who listen to my show are really into art and crafts. And, and I know – and we'll get to that a little bit because you do a lot of crafty things yourself. Um, so we'll, get, we'll move to that. But um, just for people who want to get into gardening, um, what, do you, what do you recommend? You know, it really depends on, on your, your environment. It's important to understand what your environment is in order to choose plants that will grow. I mean, oftentimes people say I don't have a – I don't have a green thumb. I kill everything. And, and usually I, I say to them, well, you don't have the right plant. <laughs> you know, if you have, like, like I have a really sunny deck and you're trying to grow something that grows in shade, you're going to have a problem. Um, but generally, I think most people want to grow herbs. They, most people want to grow something that is useful. So I recommend, I definitely recommend starting out if you have decent sun, starting out with some herbs like sage and um, I mean basil. I'm a huge basil fan and there are so many different varieties of basil. Really interesting varieties that have different flavors. Um, I would recommend something like um, uh, red reuben is a nice variety. It's like a purpley red 
basil has a really good flavor. If you have shady conditions, then you should go for mint for sure. Now, one of the questions that comes up, um, you know, people that are starting and assuming that they're starting with a container situation where they're going to grow some herbs in a container, they don't have a lot of space. A lot of these are, are perennial plants, so they come back every year. And if you're growing in a container, um, do you have to bring your container in, or what do you recommend to people with um, limited space? They, do they should they plant it in the ground somewhere, or how do how do you get it through that winter? It depends on the size of the container because. I have planter boxes that I built on my deck, and I can grow a lot of things in there perennially. They'll, they'll come back again. It's just the, the container is big enough and the soil is deep enough, and, and, and if the plant is hardy, it will survive. So, for example, in my, in my um, planter boxes, I have an herb called anisysop, which is a really good tea herb, and that comes back every year without fail. Um, I also have wormwood that comes back really well. Sage also works well in a large container like that. So um, living in Toronto, it's colder here. You know, we have a real winter. Right. So if the container is large enough, a perennial plant will survive if it's, if it's a tough enough, hardy enough. Did you actually ruin the plant by bringing it in if it doesn't get that cold, dormant season? It doesn't ruin it. I mean, it's, it's definitely harder to grow some of those plants indoors. Um, plants like sage and thyme, I find, tend to do a little bit better than basil can be tricky and rosemary can be quite tricky. Um, it doesn't really ruin it because, I mean, even if you're bringing them indoors and it's still warm, oftentimes they're still getting some sort of dormancy because the light's not as intense, and it can be a little bit cooler indoors anyway. If it's a matter of if, whether it's, if it's not going to survive outside, if you just don't have anywhere to put it, you don't have a big enough container, and you don't have you don't have an in-ground garden, then you might as well just bring it inside. Cause it, it's going to... And just take your chances, because right. it's going to die anyway. Right. So. <laughs> right. right. You decide to try to save the plant. Yeah. And if it doesn't work out, well, try again. <laughs> Figure out what went wrong and try again. And one of the um, interesting features of your site, too, is that people that get into gardening can try to connect kind of through your site to other people in their area to do some mm-hmm. kind of seed swaps or plant swaps. Or Have you found that a lot of people are doing that because of your website? I don't know if it's because of the website, but, I mean, but pe- a lot of people are doing it through the website, so... Um, it is quite popular on the site, especially the seed swap, because it's quite easy to to send seeds through the mail. How many people do you have visiting your site every day? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm really terrible about keeping up with my stats. I don't know. That's something that you're, it just means that you're very busy with other projects, that you're not sitting there uh, counting every person. Um, yeah. <laughs> You've moved to that next level of success, right? <laughs> well, the whole gardening thing for you started, and you tell the story in your book uh, briefly of you know how you got into this. But can you tell, you know, just for listeners' sake, can you um, tell me a little bit about how you got into this? I, I always have a hard time knowing where to start because I always had an interest in plants, and I can remember the first plant that I had when I was five years old, the parsley plant that I grew, and that year, my parents dug a garden. We were living in a house, and they dug a garden and put in. And I, 
I don't know why they dug a garden, but they dug a garden, and um, I was really excited about planting my parsley plant. Um, and then we moved. So <laughs> that was the end of that. And then I lived in a townhouse for um, most of my childhood until I was 15, so I didn't have a yard. Um, and so really didn't get to indulge in that, although I was actually in, interested in science and always thought I was going to be a scientist, which is sort of another story. But um, <laughs> Well, it, it, science plays really big into I mean, what you're doing, especially with all the experiments on your roof right now. It is, and I think, I don't think you have to be into science to be into gardening by any stretch. The great thing about gardening is that it's so multifaceted. I mean, you can approach it from so many different angles, and you can kind of, to some degree, stay within the the portion of it that interests you the most. Um, But when I moved out on my own, I started getting into gardening again because I started buying houseplants for my apartment. And I was still in high school, actually, and my um, my grade 13 in Canada, we have East have grade 13, um, my biology teacher um, gave me a bunch of cuttings from the classroom as well. And so I really got into it from that perspective. That was sort of a science thing for me at that time, like taking cuttings and growing the cuttings and then um, growing seeds from, I started growing seeds from, food that I bought <laughs> to see what would happen just as an experiment. And does that really work? Um, it does. It depends on the plant because a lot of the food that we buy, they're hybrids. So right. either they don't produce any seeds or the seeds they produce are sterile. But sometimes they will produce um, a plant, but then sometimes that plant won't produce any fruit itself. Or if it does produce fruit, it's not necessarily the same as the fruit that you ate. And by fruit, I don't just mean oranges. I right, mean, you like, mean peppers and tomatoes and whatnot. So you kind of have no idea until you try it. Yeah, you don't always know what you're getting. Um, so it's better to buy, if you're going to grow from food, if you're expecting to get food, then it's better to grow from older, like heirloom varieties. So it would be um, things that you might you might buy at a at a farmer's market, for example like a tomato that you would buy at a farmer's market as opposed to... I'm not, not to say that every tomato you buy at a farmer's market isn't a hybrid, but... Your chances are better. Chances are better. And you can always ask the farmer and he'll tell you. So. <laughs> right. Or if you ask Which is the... the difference between going to a grocery store that nobody's there to tell you. Right. You say, so if I grow this from seed, what kind of plant... Yeah, people will look at you a little weird and... Well, you can even just say, is, you know, is this an heirloom variety or is this a hybrid? Right. And in the grocery store, it's likely not an heirloom variety. So They're always hybrids. Right. Unless you go to, like, Whole Foods and buy those super expensive heirloom variety tomatoes that they sell now. Like, they, at, at a Whole Foods, they'll sell these really, <laughs> they'll sell heirloom varieties of tomatoes, but they're really crazy expensive. So you might as well use every part of it, including those seeds, <laughs> to grow yeah, more. Yeah, exactly. And then you can grow your own. <laughs> it's an investment in the future of your garden. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about the cuttings in high school. It was a few years later. Um, then when I was in my second year of university, I lived in a house, and we had this backyard. It wasn't a great backyard. Here in Toronto, a lot of the backyards are quite narrow. And But we had this backyard that we called Brooklyn because it was, like, just filled with garbage and, like, stuff from, which back then Brooklyn was still in, you know, turmoil. Um, it doesn't really apply now. 
But anyway, um, I grew this garden, and we just basically dug up the whole yard and and grew vegetables, not having any clue what we were doing at all. Uh, I ended up taking over most of the duties, like the watering and the, the maintenance duties. And it was quite successful, and by August, I was really lucky to have that garden because I didn't have any money, and school hadn't started yet, um, and so I had like a month of just being really dirt poor, and luckily I had all this food to harvest from the garden, and I survived off of that, basically. Really, just eating out of your garden? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, that's great, because a lot of times people, the first major garden they do, um, a lot of dead plants are the result, so uh, that's, <laughs> you obviously have that garden thing. Some things failed. But other things thrived, so it was sort of like, you know, it was enough. It ended up being enough anyway. Um, it wasn't really, I, I don't think that gardening really became an obsession with me, though. I really didn't just go crazy for it until we moved into an apartment that had this rooftop deck, the same place I live in right now. So living here, I, I started to... Which is crazy because it's completely, you would think it's really contrary. <laughs> right. Most people don't think, wow, I have a rooftop deck. I'm going to get into gardening. <laughs> yeah. It was sort of like I just, I was compelled to. I couldn't help it. I, I just, it suddenly the urge to garden again was strong and I just went ahead. Again, having no idea what I was doing. And this time, even less so because now it's in this really extreme environment. And gardening out of containers, which is very, very different. And how many years ago was that when you moved to your current spot with the roof? <laughs> More than a decade. <laughs> okay, okay. So basically, I, I try not to think about how long it's been. <laughs> well, you're still very young, so don't don't worry about that. Um, what did you study in college? I did a fine art degree. Okay, and concentration in photography, or uh, no? It was multimedia. It was it was called interdisciplinary. So. I could do whatever I wanted. So I did do photography. Um, I did video, and I did, like, installations, and I did um, I did mold making. Like, I just did whatever I felt like doing. If you can talk a little bit about your photography as well and your art and how this, how you've been able to bring the garden and in, in, in your, your skills as a gardener into some of the other creative things that you do. Gardening, like I said, it's a really multifaceted hobby, so you can come to it from a lot of different places. If you're into science, you can really stick to a science kind of aspect of it, but also it can be very, very creative. So um, I know that for me, gardening appeals to both sides, to the, the part of me that's interested in the natural world and in science, and then the part of me that's creative and wants to express myself. And do you photograph um, your garden? Does that seem to be the subject of a lot of your photographs, or do you photograph just everything? Uh, I do take photographs of my garden, but I don't really consider those to be the artistic photos that I take. The photos that I take that I'm curious about have nothing to do with gardening at all. Yeah, so what are the subjects of most of your photography? Landscape, but it's more urban landscape. You had sent me something about you have a show that's just opened. Yep, I have a show right now at Harborfront here in Toronto, and it goes until July 9th. And that's an uh, exhibition of your photography? Yeah, it's myself and three other photographers. 
And do you have a web presence with your photography so people can see that as well? I, I do, actually. I have, um, <laughs> I, I started a site with my spouse years ago called com. We started it as a place to do sort of galleries of our photos. But I have to admit, I haven't really kept up with it. I, I think I've done two galleries <laughs> there. Um, but I have a photo blog that I update almost daily called makinghappy.com. Oh, that's, well, I like the premise of just what it's called. You call it makinghappy.com. So it yeah. sounds like photography makes you happy. It does. <laughs> it's like meditation for me. And so do you take your camera everywhere you go? Um, I take a camera everywhere I go. Okay, so how many cameras do you have? Many. Yeah. (laughs) More, too many to count. But I have a few that I really stick with pretty predominantly, but my main camera is very large and cumbersome, so I don't carry it everywhere I go. If I did, I would have terrible back problems. What kind of camera is that? Medium format. I, I, I really love square square photos and large pieces of film. I'm very much about film. Generally, I, I carry a digital camera around with me. I don't like digital very much, but it's easier for me to carry that camera. So on a day-to-day basis, I'll carry that camera. But if I think I'm going to take pictures, then I'll take one of my medium format cameras. I see. So you still prefer the, the film developing in that whole process? Very much so. I really don't do dark work stuff anymore. Um, I decided a long time ago that I wouldn't do that for health reasons. When I was in school, I really subjected myself to a lot of chemicals. I was doing non-silver photography, which is very, very bad. (laughs) The chemicals are really bad. I remember the technician at the time said that regular photography, those chemicals will stay in your system for seven years, but non-silver will never leave. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Pretty awful. And... So I just decided at a certain point that I wouldn't do dark room at all anymore. And so I do take my film to a lab, and they do the developing. So how many pictures would you say you take each day? Mm, really depends on the day. Lately, not as many because I've been working so much. I haven't really had a chance to go out. I don't take as many pictures with medium format because you only get 12 pictures on a roll, and it takes me a lot longer with that camera to set up a shot. So... It's really with, I guess, economical. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, With digital, I will shoot off a lot pretty quickly. I really use the digital mostly for documenting my garden. Yeah, with digital, I'll take 100 pictures and not even realize. I'm like, whoa. And then you have all these extra pictures that you probably will never do anything with. Exactly. I end up with a lot that are not very good pictures, whereas with the medium format, because I'm taking my time, most of the... Most of the pictures are are decent. Well, and let's talk a little bit about Fluffco. Is that what you consider your day job? It has been for since 1999, but I've basically just finally stopped doing client work. Since I brought it up, we probably should tell people what Fluffco is. It's a design company that I have been running with myself. And now you're doing You Grow Girl full-time? Um, or something related to it. (laughs) So, for example, recently it's been working on the pilot. That's been taking all of my time. And then, of course, yes, still trying to maintain the site and keep up with my email, et cetera. Um, And then 
at the beginning of the gardening season, so starting in around, at, sort of in the new year, um, I did a lot of presentations. I did a lot of traveling and giving presentations, and that was, for a while, my full-time job. And so do people email you because you have the site and ask you questions about what they should be doing in their personal garden? They do, and I really can't answer those anymore. I just get too many. So now a lot of those questions are directed towards the forums because there, there are so many people there who can answer the question a lot faster than I can. So you're kind of focusing on uh, this uh, show. And on your sh- on the show, um, and assuming that it's picked up, and I, I really hope it is, you're going to be doing step-by-step, like teaching people each episode to do something, or is what kind of format are you going to have? We're really going for a non-traditional format in terms of, I mean, we've all seen gardening shows. They're, they tend to be very, um, very slow. <laughs> <laughs> And very authoritative, somebody standing there showing you how to do something and everything perfectly laid out and organized and then they very methodically show you how to plant that plant, etc. I'm really trying to steer away from that format. So it is going to be very informative. There is going to be a lot of information, but presented in a more informal way. Can you give an example of what you mean? We're shooting the show more like a documentary, so it's more documentary style, sort of following me and stuff that I do. So sometimes I'll be learning from other people, and sometimes other people will be learning from me. Oh, that sounds really cool. I hope it works. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know of any other gardening-focused show like that. One concern that I have is that when you watch these shows, like I said, they're very methodical in the way that they, they... present information. Like, I still do demonstrations on the show, but I don't have all of my materials laid out for me on a table very neat and orderly and then, and then like, methodically go about doing whatever the thing is. I'm not... <laughs> well, but I think, that's, I think that's fabulous because I know when I do a project, I am so anxious to get started on it that I don't round everything up and, and approach it. And sometimes it's not... It's totally illogical the way I do it. I said, okay, I'm doing this and you just dig in, start doing it, and then you run all over to get your materials and... Exactly. Nobody, nobody, unless they're doing a show, I think showing people how to do something like really lines up all the materials. I, I just don't know anyone who actually does that. You know, I think there are people who do that, but so? I think there are a very select group of people. <laughs> <laughs> and they're a whole lot more organized than I am. <laughs> and they might be the sort that might not need it to watch a show or maybe not have interest or whatever, you know, because they're too busy lining up their materials <laughs> to, do their, <laughs> to do their garden. I mean, that's all nice and and neat and everything, but my issue with that kind of presentation is that, for one, like I said, it has this authoritative kind of air about it, and I think essentially, psychologically, what it ends up teaching people is that if they're not doing things in this very neat and orderly fashion, or that, you know, that gardening has to be very, I don't know, you know, when you plant a plant, that there's a, a right way to go about it, and in my mind, there really isn't a right way to go about it. There are many right ways to go about it, so... I wanted things to be a lot more casual so people could feel a sense of relief about what they were doing. I want The other big thing is I really want people to see that I make mistakes and to really show those mistakes. I want that kind of transparency because that's really missing. Well, and I think there's you really build credibility with people because if you pretend like you're perfect on a show, um, 
know, people can kind of see through that. But I, I think I know when I screw stuff up, you know, I just kind of come clean, you know, and say, wow, that was kind of a bomb, you know. <laughs> you know. But, well, it sounds like it's really, really cool, the format you come up with. And it just sounds like you're just going to be you on the show. Well, that's my, I'm not an actor. Yeah. So the idea of suddenly becoming this, like, this host and this actor, it didn't appeal to me. And I didn't think that it was going to appeal to anybody who would want to watch the show either. So, Are you going to be doing crafts on your show? Oh, for sure. Because yeah. that's what I do. I make stuff. And I mean, with gardening, there are so many natural extensions into, like I said, cooking and crafting. So absolutely. So what kind of crafts do you like to do? I like to do everything. <laughs> I have this thing where I just need to know how to do everything. So I'll try anything. I like to sew and I like to build things, and I do, I haven't done it in a while, but I do bookbinding, and I knit, and now I've finally learned how to crochet. I was really resistant, but I finally learned. Why were you resistant to cro- learning to crochet? I'm curious. I just had some traumas in childhood with crocheting. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I was really kind of freaked out about it for a long time, so I started with knitting because for a long time, I was just like, oh, the yarn arts. I want nothing to do with the yarn arts. <laughs> but then I started with knitting because it wasn't crocheting. And then now I've finally taken to crocheting, and I am relatively comfortable with it now. Well, that's great. That's great. So what is your favorite craft? Oh, I don't know. I guess sewing. Do you find that you want to always incorporate nature into your crafts as much as possible? Sometimes, but not all the time. I have other interests, too, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm curious about your, when you do segments on your show that involve crafts, are, are the crafts going to be garden-related, or how is that going to? Yeah, for the most part. Um, the crafts will be either things that you can make for your garden or for, for gardening. Like, for example, in the book, I have, um, I have a, you know, you can sew a gardening, a garden apron, or you can make a... Um, you can make your own journal. But then on the flip side, I also have projects in the book that are like the things that you can make for the garden. But then in the show, I also want to have things that you can make from the garden. So taking things that you've grown and using them in some other way. You know, there, there are lots of examples of that. Like with gardening, especially with herbs, you can use herbs to make hand salves or beauty products. Um, and then, of course, you can eat stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, stuff. <laughs> yeah, you can drink it in tea and, yeah, there's plenty. Of, so are you going to do cooking segments, too, on your uh, show? Yeah, definitely, because yeah. I like to cook. So it's basically, are you the new Martha Stewart? Is that kind of what's emerging here? <laughs> I wasn't going to – I waited to the very um, end. I'm not like Martha Stewart at all. I'm not – and believe me, I am not implying that you are. Um, <laughs> you know, please don't go to prison. No. <laughs> but I'm just curious about if, if you're kind of – because it sounds like you're not – you're not just a gardener. I think in the same way that Martha Stewart likes to do a lot of different things and likes to know about a lot of different things, I, I think we have that in common for sure. For me, it's like – it's sustainability. I just like to – I have this like idea that it would be great if I knew how to do how to take care of myself if I had to. So in case something goes terribly awry, exactly, um, you can live off the land, and you can absolutely sew your own clothes. 
Yeah. yeah, and you know, eat weed. <laughs> you know which ones to eat, which ones are poisonous, and which ones to that are okay. You know. <laughs> yeah. What meaning does it bring to your life to be able to do make things yourself and grow things yourself? You know, it does so many different things. I was about to talk about how in gardening, it's like, and I was really resistant to saying this because it sounded so cheesy. But in gardening, it's very much about nurturing. You know, you're nurturing plants, but in doing that, you, you are nurturing yourself. And I was really sort of hesitant to say that initially. And the first time I did say it in, uh, in giving a presentation, I got so many sort of nods. You know, people were like, yes, yes. <laughs> and, and I think that that is, it sounds cheesy, but that is fundamentally what all of these sorts of things do for us. It is about nurturing ourselves. Um, but then on top of that, it's also, it's, it instills a sense of pride and the ability, you know, knowing that you can take care of yourself on some level, like growing a tomato, being able to grow a tomato, it does instill you with a sense of pride and like, I can, I can grow a tomato. <laughs> I can take care of myself. I mean, you may not be growing enough to to actually sustain you throughout the year, but even knowing that you can makes a difference. And it, that's the same goes for any other craft. It's like being able to sew yourself a shirt as opposed to going out and buying one in a store. That's, that's a pretty meaningful thing. The other thing is that it makes you a smarter consumer. Once you've grown your own tomato, you really start to see how crappy the tomatoes in the stores are. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's a good thing because an educated consumer is going to make better choices in the long run. You know, once you realize that, especially like in terms of organic gardening, once you realize that you can grow quite easily and successfully organically, it's, um, and, and the difference that you see in your garden and the difference that you see in the quality of the stuff that you grow, it, it does make you um, less accepting of the crap that you will find in a store. And it'll, for me, it's like I go to a farmer's market to get a lot of my produce because I, I just don't have the same acceptance for the crap in the stores anymore. And that's good. <laughs> and I, you're totally right about that because you notice just differences in taste. And, um, and there's also, I think, a respect that develops because when you realize, you know, you know the work that goes into producing or to getting your garden to produce something, you have a whole new respect for the people who do this for a living. Absolutely. You, there's value. I think the same goes for, like, for people who are into crafting. You know, you make your own things handmade. You know the kind of work and attention that goes into that. So you're willing, when you go out into the world, to spend a little bit more on something that's handmade. Yes, and it's, yeah, it's just a, I think, I think crafters and artists seem to be um, the ones that actually spend probably, uh, if we, I, I don't have any scientific research, but I suspect that a lot of us are keeping, we're keeping each other in business, really. Because, I think so too. Because we, and that's probably why none of us are rich. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because, you know, we support each other and these creative endeavors. So in your free time, it sounds like you probably don't have a whole lot of free time these days, but when you just have downtime, what do you enjoy to doing? I mean, do you find that you gravitate to a particular art or craft form? These days, if it's, if it's in the, even in the winter, I don't get to go out and, and just be outside for the sake of being outside. So 
oftentimes I will go out and do photography because it gives me the opportunity to just go and walk. Just walk with my camera and walk around and be outside. So I do that a lot. I mean, I garden a lot, but now gardening it is still it's still personal, but it's also mixed with work. So it's a strange that's always a strange thing. I think a lot of people who end up um, doing work that started out as a personal passion have that conflict. Well, did you know when you first registered the domain name, it would turn into your job? I had no idea. And, and no, I, I never imagined in a million years that it would. It just started out as, a, as just a labor of love, just a fun thing to do. And have you found that, is it particularly challenging? I mean, because obviously I know that you know, people don't really get wildly rich off of these passion, these things. You just said, you know, people that you know, do what they love. It doesn't always bring in, you know, tons of revenue. But do you find that it's it's harder to make a living doing this or doing, you know, the You Grow Girl stuff than it would be if you would just, you know, get a, a cubicle job somewhere, you know, working in an office? It's a gazillion times harder. <laughs> it's a lot harder. But at the same time, it's easier for me because, I mean, I started my own design business because I just couldn't stand working in a full-time, at a, in an office as a full-time job, which... I do work in an office at the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is what I do, but it was, I, I guess I've never been very good at, with authority. <laughs> yeah, I have that same problem. I'm, I'm very self-directed, and I don't necessarily want to be telling other people what to do, but I don't like to be told what to do either. So right. I just had a hard time working, working in sort of corporate office situations was really, really awful for me. And that's why I started working for myself. So, I mean, I think part of the reason why I've managed to keep this going for so long is because I am very stubborn and very self-directed and um, crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think all of us have to be a little bit nuts to um, put the kind of time that we put into these things. It sounds like you're having... uh... A fantastic time of it. I am. It's it's sometimes really impossibly difficult, and other times it's amazingly awesome. So <laughs> it's such a crazy grab bag. I guess that's part of the appeal. Well, do you have any advice for people out there that? Because um, I know I've gotten a lot of email from people who listen, and it seems like the common thread is that a lot of people are maybe doing a regular job and really hoping to get whatever side thing they do, you know, t- turning that more into their main their main job, and, and maybe let go of the the comfort of the or, or discomfort of the day job, depending on what they're doing. Um, what advice do you have to, for people that are just starting and trying to figure out their next move? Hmm. I think I'm always the worst example because I've done everything the wrong way. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I quit my job just like that and went into business for myself just like that without any backup, without any, (laughs) you know, I didn't ease into it at all. (laughs) So, um... Well, tell me, me, let me hear a little bit about this. So when did you decide you were going to go into business for yourself? Probably 1998 at the end of 1998 and then in 19, at the beginning of 1999. And then how did that, what, what were you doing at the time? What was your day job? I was working for a broadcaster doing web design. Okay. And what happened? Did, 
I mean, how take me through the whole scenario? It was you... just an awful job. I had and I had come from another bad job prior to that, and I was I was just really tired of the corporate world, and I felt like I had no soul left. I felt like it was being slowly sucked out of my body. I was just miserable. And so what made you just, I mean, did you just come back from lunch one day and decide, today's my last day, or how did Um, that work? I guess it wasn't that quick, but I was working at the time with my spouse and another friend. We were all working together at this place, and we were the design team. (laughs) (laughs) And we just felt so disrespected, and we were so miserable at the job, we just decided, you know, we can do this on our own. We're already so self-directed and self-motivated, and so... We just decided together that we would go out on our own. So I can see where you would be. Um, there was some risk involved because you said your spouse was there too. So yeah. you, didn't, you didn't have like a situation where some, your spouse was doing a different job with benefits. No, we had no company. backup whatsoever. And how long did it take before you felt like, okay, we're on our feet? We're. I don't know. I guess it was a while, and I've and that has gone up and down since then. Because I mean, when I worked on the book. The book really was a huge financial sacrifice that I haven't really bounced back from. I mean, I am slowly, but... um, And then doing the TV show has been another huge risk. So I just keep taking risks. (laughs) Well, you have to risk and be willing to risk to ever achieve greatness, I think. I think so, and I think that's probably the best advice. It's like... But for me, I, I felt like I didn't have a choice. It was like... Working in a corporate situation, I just couldn't do it. I mean, it was physically killing me. It was emotionally killing me. So for me, there just wasn't a choice. Um, and, and so the risk didn't really seem like as big a risk in comparison to what I was experiencing on a day-to-day basis. Well, and at least you knew how to live off the land. Yeah. <laughs> if it would come to that, you know. Exactly. <laughs> now, the people that can't don't know how to kind garden. It's hard to do in the city, but. Yeah, well, you could live off the, the rooftop deck, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so you did have a backup in a way, you know. Well, it, it, it sounds like, I, I think, though, people need to hear stories like yours where, you know, because if you sit there and you don't do anything different, it's it's hard to know what, what, what happened next. I mean, because you could still be sitting there in that job. It, could you just imagine I couldn't imagine. I, I I would be dead. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I can't imagine. I, I'd be. I, I'd be spiritually dead anyway. So it sounds like you did the absolute right thing. And what you said about the book too is interesting. People think that if folks have written, someone's written a book, then they're they're big time and they're they're making tons of money. And it sounds like well, you might be more popular and more widely known than you were before you did the book. Um, it's still something that you know people. Uh, need to realize that it's not something that makes someone instantly wealthy. And so it sounds like you had to take time off your day job, I mean, your design job, to write the book. Well, I had such an intense schedule. I had to do the whole thing within seven months, and that was writing, photography. Um, I didn't do the illustration. I hired an illustrator, but that had to be done. And promotional stuff and, and designing the book. So I had to do everything within seven months. So I had to quit. I couldn't do any any client work at that time there was no way I could it was my schedule was too insane so it was a huge risk in that sense because I had to drop all of my clients and I was dropping them like my regular clients I had to drop them permanently 
<laughs> yeah, and that must have been hard. Uh, it was. It was. It was hard to let go of that uh, security. Because are you doing? Is it web design or both? I do print and web design. Have you gotten back into it, or are you so far into you know at this other direction that you're not? That's not something you're you're not going to get back it to was, design. You know, I think one thing people don't realize is that you do a book and then you have to sell it. Right, right. Because <laughs> you know, otherwise, if you don't sell it, you're you're not going to make any money. So. Um, I finished the book, and the schedule was so quick that it came out. It was like I had just enough time to sort of breathe and relax after finishing the book, and then it came out. So as soon as it came out, it was just immediately a whirlwind of, of like, interviews and events, and you don't get paid for that. So all of a sudden, that's like a full-time job. So when you fly, like, if you fly across the country or you visit the States, um, do you have to pay for that yourself to get to the place? Yeah, I pay for that myself. Really? Wow. I thought the publisher did some of that. It depends on the publisher. I see. So you have to finance that. But if you don't go, then you don't probably sell your book. Yeah. So I didn't do a lot of travel initially because I didn't have the money to do it. I did I, I did do a lot of other types of work. You know, I did a lot of interviews and, and writing and stuff like that. But it was all unpaid promotional stuff. Um, and then last spring, as I said, I was doing a lot of a lot of talking, but then um, various events would hire me to go and speak. So I wouldn't really get paid, but they would at least pay for my transportation costs. And then I would try to tack on extra events when I did that to sort of... Try to see if you can do something else while you're there. Yeah. So are these kind of like workshops where you tell people about, you know, how to... Yeah. Yeah. So again, I wouldn't make money, but it would be promotional... It was, it, was, it was my version of a book tour, <laughs> a very long <laughs> book tour. Yeah, but it sounds like at the end of the day, though, you, you're very happy with this life that you're living. I am. It's, it's, sometimes I definitely stop and, and I become very overwhelmed by the amount of work, and I think, you know, what am I doing? This is insane. But like I said, at the same time, it's also really, really fulfilling. So, I don't know what I would do if, if you would have said, you know, actually, um, I hate my life. <laughs> you know, I, I don't really think these things out very well sometimes, but um, I kind of got a sense that you were quite happy, so I'm glad that worked out well because that would have been kind of awkward, wouldn't it? <laughs> I, I'm just realistic. I mean, the thing is, it's, it, it's great. It is really amazing. But like I said, it's also incredibly hard, and I think anybody who does this would say the same thing. Right. Right. Well, it's it's a great deal of sacrifice. Um, you know, if you if you you give up something to have what you, to do what you do, and that means you know you might not have the security of the the, the soul sucking job. You know, that has benefits and certain number of vacation days. You know, and but you're you're doing this. You're able to go in your own direction. So that's really cool to see. And so, what, what's next for you? What um, we talked about the TV show, but do you have do you plan to do more books? I really want to. Um, I really, the book was crazy, but at the same time, the day I finished it, I was like, okay, I'm ready to do another one. (laughs) So I do really want to do another book, but right now the TV show has been the focus for so long. And so, you know, I'm just waiting, basically. I'm sort of in a weird limbo waiting to see what happens with that. Well, I think this one is, I know I, I've been carrying this around like it's a little Bible. Like I've gone out and when I go any place where I might be looking at some plants to add to the garden, I, I've actually brought it with me. 
I found it great, and I'm, I'm, I really think I, I can't wait to try. I'm going to try some tea. I don't know if you have any other anything else you'd like to share with listeners out there. Any inspiring words you might have to uh, to get them started and their next project, whether it be out in the garden or just with something else that they're working on that's creative and something they want to make a bigger part of their life. My big thing, my my whole intent in doing this is to really remove the intimidation factor from gardening. And I think that if you think of gardening as um, an experiment, a process that is never-ending, that that changes your perspective on it. I mean, you can never... People people all the time, for example, they'll, they'll ask me if I'm an expert or they'll refer to me as an expert. And I don't really think that's true because I think that in gardening you can never stop learning. There's so much to know. You literally could never possibly know everything, even even close to everything. And I find oftentimes if we have like a get-together, people who are beginners will, will email me and say that they're afraid or they're shy to come out because they don't have anything to add to the discussion. And I think that's crap too because <laughs> I find I still buy beginner books. I still I talk to everybody and I learn so much from everybody because like I said, there's no one right way to do something so everybody has their way and there's always something to learn well i think that's great for people to keep in mind so um so i will i will end with that thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it thanks to gala for sharing her garden and crafting expertise with us and uh that's all wish her luck with her tv show i you know I, i really hope that works out and i think it's gonna be great and no i'm not on gala's (laughs) payroll. I'm just obviously really into plants and crafts. So this is a really fun episode. Not that any of them aren't. I I enjoy this every week. Um, It's just the best job ever. Too bad it doesn't pay. Uh, (laughs) So um, visit craftsanity.com for the free project from Gala and links to all her websites. Keep sending along those show ideas, guest suggestions, and any feedback that you feel so inclined to send. I love hearing from you. So you have a fantastic week, and in the event that you start to feel stressed out or overwhelmed, pull out your craft supplies, yarn, fabric, whatever floats your boat, and craft sanity, my friends. It works for me. Thanks for listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast with Jennifer Ackerman Haywood. Visit CraftSanity.com for more information about today's guest and links to subscribing to the podcast. Want to support the show? Follow the link to vote for Craft Sanity on Podcast Alley once a month. You can also make a donation or buy goods at the Craft Sanity store. Have a suggestion for a future guest or have other feedback? Email Jennifer at CraftSanity.com. Thanks again for listening to Craft Sanity.